This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. I want to kick things off with an issue that I think is, well, it's obviously it's a big debate in Hamilton, but it's a debate I think some will say has not really uh, gotten two sides, been maybe a little bit too lopsided, somewhat cherry-picked on its data. I'm a bit of an outsider on this issue, but I think I can actually give you a bit of a, a different perspective, maybe some food for thought. Um, I got to be honest, Toronto in streetcars, they are a nightmare. I absolutely hate them. Why do I hate them? Not because I don't love transportation, not because I don't love mass, mass transit. I like transportation that makes sense and actually gets a city moving. But if you've been in Toronto, and I know you have, then you know the right-of-way streetcars are a pain in the you-know-what. They're slow. They break down. You get track replacement every three years. Yes, it's awesome when you get all that construction every three years and the streets are torn up and you can't get through intersections and you have to find alternative routes. In the winter, they break down. Now, St. Clair and Eglinton are the two major throwaways in Toronto. I avoid them at all costs, and a lot of other people do. Traffic then explodes. And where does it go? It's been going into quiet residential areas as people try to get out of the gridlock and then into another avenue. And if you've got kids and you live in a nice, quiet neighborhood, think about that. Because people bomb through these neighborhoods going at huge uh, rates of speed. So do trucks and everyone trying to catch up for time because of construction on the main streets. It causes a lot of issues. And then think of your nice downtown Hamilton streets one way or another. Like, look, you don't have gridlock in Hamilton. There is no gridlock here. It's amazing. You will if you get the LRT because you're going to lose a lane of traffic. And then for those who like to park downtown, where are you going to park? might find a problem doing that too. So keep these things in mind. Keep in mind that, you know, LRTs and things, they break down. They're seldom on time. And if you have a big construction project like this, it never arrives on schedule. Now, if you're a business owner along the stretch of track, you can say goodbye to your bottom line. Customers do go away. Folks just simply do not want to go to areas of town that are under construction. And it's not like you can build tracks in two weeks. This takes a long, long time. And in that time, people change their habits. And if you don't believe me, I have done numbers of stories on Toronto businesses that simply threw up their hands and absolutely gave up because they just couldn't compete with the the ongoing construction that just never happened on time. And it was just too expensive. So I'm on the side that I think Hamilton's making a big mistake going down this road. I know some uh, think it's sexy, but the need just isn't there in the city. The route doesn't make sense. The numbers don't add up. I I think the proposed ridership's at like 2,000 at peak times, and I'm being generous there. But Hamilton needs 4,500 for this to make sense a day. Toronto moves a million point eight a day, and we still can't get it right. Toronto can't get it right. And then, of course, you got to keep in mind, by the time this thing's built, there'll probably be some technology that can get you around faster. Uber will come up with something, no question, to get you moving around faster. Keep in mind, uh, Toronto Transit's lost 5 million riders in the last year alone because the fares keep going up. And people are saying, if I'm going to get around, I'm going to just take an Uber. It's faster. I'll find some other way to carpool or get there. So I think as taxpayers, you've got to ask yourself, are you prepared to foot this bill? The cost of maintaining all those tracks because it is not cheap and you have to replace them. If the province is going to give a billion dollars to Hamilton, why not build a real legacy of building a transit express track to Toronto? Wouldn't that be amazing? Get all the traffic off that highway, get you home at a reasonable time. Maybe you could have dinner with your kids one night. Wouldn't that be grand? We're going to talk to uh, Terry Whitehead, who is the Ward 8 counselor, who commissioned his own 58-page report on the implications, the implications for uh, the LRT and some of the real facts. Thanks for calling in, Terry. Hello? Hi there. There you are. There we go. Technical Mondays, I love them. Uh, it's great uh, to oh, be oh. with you and your listeners. And just for clarification, it's actually two lanes of road that's been taking out. Oh, even better, even better. Because I can tell you, I don't know if you heard my my little rant. I had to I give the, the listeners the position of where I come from on this because I want them to have both sides of it. But I just, I live this every single day. My life is hell trying to get around what well, were great fu- streets and not now. What's well, funny because when I was listening to you, I thought, holy smokes, she's almost read off my whole report. 
And I haven't read the whole report. You, you, you identified all the issues. Uh, clearly, uh, this started, uh, you know, a number of years ago um, with the, the big move uh, and, the, you know, the very progressive agenda of the, uh, the local government. Uh, then it was the solution to deal with congestion. And uh, in the preliminary reports, it actually recommended the BRT was a better fit for the city of Hamilton. Uh, at some point, um, that congestion issue fell to the wayside, and it became about uh, became city building. And um, this council, based on the reports that came forward, I got to say they're pretty high level reports. They weren't at the granular level. Um, took a position to support the LRT, but subsequent to that, our staff felt that our ridership wasn't there, and that we needed. Uh, to, to, to have a 10-year plan to build that ridership uh, to, to serve that higher-order transit. And, in fact, they came in with a 10-year plan, a very comprehensive, progressive plan that Council uh, supported uh, with huge majority. That became the, the most current position of Council. And lo and behold, what has transpired is that um, somehow we leap, uh, leapfrogged the 10-year plan that is about building ridership and building towards that higher order of transit and leap right into LRT. I can tell you that there was no counselor around that table that that, I, uh, that I'm aware of anyway that was expecting that announcement to take place when it took place. I feel like someone at City Hall, and I'm not going to point out any yet, but I feel like someone's trying to build a legacy that doesn't really make sense. But but on paper, golly, it'll sound horrendous. But it, to me, it makes zero sense for the city of Hamilton to go this route. Well, I can tell you uh, the one thing, uh, concern I have uh, when you talk about uh, making decisions in the political realm is that there are time, uh, finite time frames, political time frames uh, that you're making those decisions within. So uh, the concern I have is that this is becoming more about legacy than it is about making the best decision based on um, you know evidence-based information, empirical data. Uh, and all the empirical data I've gone through, and I want to make sure that people understand, you know, the study, I, I wouldn't call what I put out as a study. It's a report. And it re- the report, all it did is look into a number of areas and concerns that were raised from the original reports. And we even went back and, and interviewed uh, an economist stuff from the Federal, uh, federal Treasury uh, who funded transit systems and looked at the economic uplift. Uh, we looked at, you know, uh, reports done here by McMaster, our old Metrolinks. We found inconsistencies. And as we went through the reports, I was trying to get answers to these questions. And in those reports, they always refer to a report that actually refers to another report. So we started digging in, into it deeper and found that there's a lot of things that were not said. And let's be clear to our listeners. The current transit plan today that was approved by this council for LRT is not the plan that's in front of us. Mm-hmm. We were going from a destination point to a destination point. We were going from Eastgate Mall to McMaster University. Now we're currently going from a node to to uh, a destination point. There's no examples anywhere that I can find that there's a successful LRT system uh, that goes from a non-destination point to a destination point, one. Two, most successful LRTs have park and rides. All Actually, all of them do. Yeah, we don't have that even in our. That you also have to pay for, by the way, if you park your car there. So that's an, uh, another added expense. Park and ride amenities, yes. Yeah. And the other big one, really, is is a strong blast network, a linkage to the burbs to feed the system. Edmonton was starving until they built that system to feed the burbs. And guess what? The system came alive. Well, our system is lacking and deficient, and to build the system without a plan to ensure that you're going to feed that ridership is very concerning. And, of course, you were talking about ridership. And you quoted 2,000. The current number uh, that we're dealing with is 1,100. That's peak hour, uh, peak, what's it called, production hour. So that's around 1,100 is what they're suggesting. Now, 444 solid. Everything else is assumed from the local transit systems that will continue being in play even after the LRT is implemented. So it's highly optimistic to suggest 1,100 at this point in time. In my humble opinion, I haven't seen any numbers that suggest otherwise, but I can tell you that uh, all the reports that I've read would indicate that the uh, forecasters of riderships, these so-called consultants, have got it wrong 80% of the time. So I guess 
we might be one of the lucky ones in that that 20%. But 80% of the time, consultants get it wrong on the ridership uh, forecast. Yeah. But well, that let me let me step it. Yeah, that, consultants that, make a lot of money that doesn't necessarily they they put the right information out because any report can be spiked. Correct. I'll let I'll let you get your last point in because I, I do want to talk to a business owner who who's sure. very much against this. Well, I was just talking about uh, so of course that has impact on operating costs, right? If you don't meet those those uh, those targets, those ridership targets, then you're going to impact ride, uh, cost per rider, which is significant. And, and actually more costly than delivering it through a bus service. So we need to be uh, frugal, responsible, and get value for the dollar. And currently, the way this plan sits, I don't think they're there. In other words, we need a lot more consultation before the, sho- the, uh, the what are those called? Uh, shovels hit the, uh, the dirt. Thanks so much for joining us, Councillor. I do appreciate it. Thank I'm you for uh, happy me. to read your report. That is Ward 8 Councillor Terry White, and I think he brings up some very, very uh, important points. But one of the points that sticks out to me is business. If you're a business owner, uh, you're going to really struggle. I know because I've done these stories. Let's bring in Carol Lazik to this conversation. You are a retail business owner of Gilbert's Big and Tall Men's Shop that has been around forever in the city of Hamilton, and you're against the LRT. Primarily, why? Primarily, uh, speaking to Terry's points, um there is a lack of transparency and a lack of um, of, of truth and uh, answers. I mean, there's so many unanswered questions with regards to this particular project, and what we are seeking are uh, viable, true, substantiated facts. Yeah, one of the facts I think that gets, I mean, Carol, you as a business owner and you and everybody else on this route, you still have to pay full taxes while yes. this thing's being built, and, and there's no question people will stop coming uh, to the areas of retailers because they can't deal with the construction. Absolutely, they will. I mean, look at uh, what happened with concession and, you know, many of the other uh, construction um, projects that have occurred. Have you got any kind of indication, have you been able to do any kind of study and as to business impact of this? Uh, no, unfortunately, we are a small business, and uh, we, you know, we haven't done any statistical um, um, uh, projects or um, investigations. But um, just in speaking casually with uh, customers and just knowing um, our um, target market, um, we we know that many of um, the customers will be discouraged and will avoid uh, the construction at all costs. One of the areas that people come back at me at uh, when I talk about the Hamilton LRT, they say, well, it works in Calgary. I I, I lived in Calgary. I had an LRT right outside the business I worked at. The difference between the LRT and Calgary is it was built, uh, the, the downtown is not affected by the LRT. It was built on kind of the outside track. Mm-hmm. So you don't interrupt any of the downtown businesses, and it stops almost in front of the business areas without interrupting it. That's not the case for Hamilton. No, exactly, and that's uh, obviously one of the the key issues with us as well. It will destroy businesses. There will be those that say, who cares, Hamilton's downtown looks terrible right now, and uh, we can only go up from here, and you'd say what to them? Um, basically, we, we discourage them. We just say um, we are totally against the LRT. It will not be uh, good for business. Uh, statistically, um, the powers that be are advocating that um, uh, land uh, values will increase. Well, basically, based on MPAC, um, land values increase every five years anyway. So that that has no bearing on this uh, scenario. Plus, also, our concern is that the city is on a growth spurt. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, having said that, if you bring in construction, it's going to totally annihilate and uh, stop that um, that progress. Yeah, I don't think people understand how of a, much of a nuisance. And the one thing I've noticed the most uh, in my neighborhood is we've got trucks and cars barreling through neighborhoods that are not mm-hmm. built for traffic. And now we have signage everywhere warning these cars that come in from nowhere. Watch out for children because children have been killed because people are trying to make up for time. So they rush through the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, because I'm going to continue talking to business owners about this, um, you have uh, developed a group. How do people get uh, more information on, on the op- we, uh, side? We do have a Facebook page. It's uh, called No Hamilton LRT, as well as a website, which is nohamiltonlrt.wix.com backslash my site. And um, we have posted um, many um, articles, uh, information pertaining to uh, unsuccessful um, LRT projects, and um, as well as um, added information. 
just to get the word out there so that everybody can be informed. And that is our main purpose here, is to uh, inform everybody. We will have you on again. Carol, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so very much. Carol uh, is a business owner, obviously has a lot invested in this. So I think it's important that you get both sides of the voice on this and that the city reflects both sides and makes sure that it has done its research on the impacts to both sides before it goes ahead with this. We'll continue this discussion, I promise you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We're going to give as much coverage to the DNC convention as we did the Republican one uh, because today's the big kickoff in Philadelphia and traditionally and I'm not picking sides this is the more mundane affair it's just how it is everyone kind of looks for the circus at the uh, Republican convention and they kind of everything is smooth sailing and very wrapped and neatly done for the Democratic convention but but we don't seem to have that scenario unfolding. I mean, yes, we got the circle, which uh, the circus last week of Donald Trump, and it did not disappoint. It was interesting. Lots of people were watching. Everyone was watching. What would he do? But it appears Hillary Clinton may be now facing her own circus all on her own. It's, it's actually more of a firestorm because late Sunday, as you were likely enjoying your last barbecue and beer, one of the Democratic Party's most influential people had to step down. You know, this is the one that makes the policy, the vision. Yeah, she had to go. Very suddenly, Debbie Wasserman Schultz walked out. Now, she's a close ally, very close friend to Hillary Clinton. She was appointed to the uh, Democratic National Committee by Obama himself. Well, she had to resign. Those darn emails coming back to haunt her, of course, being leaked on WikiLeaks, suggest- suggesting she and uh, her committee were actively trying to sabotage Bernie Sanders. And apparently, more of these emails are supposed to be coming out. And apparently, if we're to believe them, they're the most damaging of all. So this only, you know, goes to further cement Donald Trump's charge that the system was rigged against Sanders, who, by the way, speaks at the convention tonight. He says he's going to continue endorsing Hillary Clinton. I'm not sure why. But make no mistake, his followers are none too happy. So they are expecting to make it known at this convention. Now, Clinton appeared on 60 Minutes last night with her VP pick, Tim Kaine. She was challenged, almost challenged, barely challenged on her record, which is, as Secretary of State, not very good. But here's what she says about, you know, her record. Here's what she says. Uh, There's been a concerted effort to convince people like that young man of something. Nobody's quite sure what, but of something. I often feel like there's the Hillary standard, and then there's the standard for everybody else. What's the Hillary standard? Well, it it is, uh, you know, a lot of, as you saw at the Republican convention, uh, unfounded, inaccurate, mean-spirited attacks with no basis in truth, uh, reality, which take on a life of their own. Okay, the Hillary standard, so... The Hillary standards that you don't get charged by the FBI? I mean, come on. There's, yeah, there's two standards. Uh, But that was, I thought, a very telling answer. What wasn't televised is her response to Debbie Wasserman Schultz's resignation and those emails. She apparently did not read them or know anything about them. I mean, seriously? It's either denial with this woman or delete. Delete, delete, delete. I I don't understand. How do you not know about these emails? Um, But the good news for Schultz is that while she may not be chair anymore, Clinton has hired her to stay on and run the campaign. And this at a time when more emails are expected. I, I don't know what they're thinking. She's even supposed to speak at this convention. You can imagine how that will go. Let's bring in Ray Hurd, who's a longtime liberal strategist, been a long time in the Liberal Party. He was a former uh, press secretary to John Turner. He joins me now. Hello there. Gotcha, Ray. Hey there. Hi, Ray. I attended a lot of conventions, so I may be qualified to say that what we're witnessing and hearing about the Democratic Convention is a tragic circus. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is not stepping down as the head of the Democratic Party until after the convention, which is on Thursday. Now, she was booed off the stage when she addressed the Florida delegation in Philadelphia today. And if she is stupid enough, and if Hillary Clinton doesn't stop her, 
when she opens the convention at 4 o'clock today, I will predict here and now she will be booed off the stage uh, in one of the biggest demonstrations since 1968 when the Democratic convention ended in a police riot where my arm was broken. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Bernie Sanders, his followers are, are exceptionally angry. I mean, they, they feel like he was, uh, you know, maybe it's not true, but they feel like he was completely railroaded here. But why would Hillary Clinton, why would the Democratic Party even attempt to bring her out of this convention? Well, I think it's a question of survival. Bernie Sanders, as you will recall, Alex, appealed to about 80 percent of the voters who are educated and who are under roughly 35 years old. If they sit on their hands and don't vote for Hillary, or a few may vote for Trump, that's unlikely, but several of them may vote for the libertarian candidate, whose name is Johnson. So this is a question of survival. During the next roughly uh, three and a half hours, someone has to put Wasserman Schultz in a straitjacket and take her out, because if they don't do that, it is a terrible blow for Hillary Clinton. Now, I might add this. These emails that may have been leaked by the Russians, well, that's what they're saying. probably be the only good thing the Russians have done since Putin came to power, these emails confirm that the Democratic National Committee, led by Schultz, was out to destroy Bernie Sanders. They even, and there are emails proving this, said they might use the, the quote, Jesus thing, unquote, against him, because he happens to be Jewish, but he's, he has admitted he's not a very religious person. So here they were, even prepared to mention his Jewish antecedents. Uh, Schultz called him a damn liar, they also took cheap shots at Barack Obama. And I have to add one thing before we get the next question. Hillary and Obama both praised Wasserman Schultz in statements when she resigned, effective next Thursday, but neither of them mentioned what she'd done wrong which is hypocritical. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not sure what the game plan is. I mean, WikiLeaks, uh, someone tweeted out last night that they have more uh, very damning emails that they're expecting to leak out. So it's like a death by a thousand cuts. But, you know, one of the things I find troubling is the relationship between uh, Schultz and a lot of journalists. So you've got all these journalists agreeing to take talking points and killing bad stories yeah. for the Democratic Party, which then goes to further fuel this, you know, antitrust against the media. But that, you know, it's not unusual that you'll have a relationship with arms of political parties who will tell you yeah. what they want to say. But as a journalist, you are supposed to say, I'll ask the questions. It's up to me to decide when to kill a story. But that's not happening. Well, very true. Now, you know what I call CNN? The Clinton News Network. I have covered American politics since John F. Kennedy won in 1960. That shows how old I am. And do you know what? CNN has never before been so biased and one-sided. They are a propaganda sheet for Hillary Clinton and people like Wasserman Schultz. That's not surprising. The New York Times should have had as its main story today that she has resigned, affected Thursday, they never led with that. Their main story was the allegation the Russians had leaked these emails to WikiLeaks. And as I said, maybe the Russians did it, but it does expose the duplicity and the hypocrisy in the Democratic Party, and Hillary should have repudiated it and still has roughly three and a half hours to do something, or else... We could have a booing circus that will be much bigger than the one at the Republican convention where Ted Cruz was booed for refusing to endorse Donald Trump. So from a journalistic point of view, get ready. The worst is yet to come.
Yeah, I tend to agree. We're talking to Ray Hurd. He, he's been a liberal for as long as I know, and he's been in this game for a long, long time, former press secretary to John Turner, um, talking about his experience. If you want to jump into our conversation, you can. Get us at 905-645-3221 or uh, on your cell at star 9900. Would you stick with Hillary Clinton after knowing these kinds of things? And Ray, I ask you. Do you get the sense, I mean, she has had such an issue with trust. That's the number one issue facing Hillary Clinton today is that people don't trust her. But a lot of them say they'll still go to the polls holding their nose because they don't want Trump. But we saw last week, you know, the numbers are in from his convention. He got a bump in the polls. He's now ahead of Hillary Clinton. Yes, he is significantly ahead. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells me that uh, those Sanders voters who are mad as hell and you can't blame them, could hold the balance of power. If Bernie, who is talking tonight, by the way, if he can find a way of persuading his young legions, they are intelligent, they're educated, they're active on the Internet in cyberspace. If he can find a way of doing that, Hillary might survive this disaster. But I'm not sure he really wants to, because when you read the emails, you'd see how they hated him and even used his religion against him. So he might just make a nice, gentle speech, but he has to almost implore his supporters to vote for her, because it's silly to say that they may vote for Trump, they won't. But if they don't vote, in effect, that's a vote for Trump. Yeah. What do you see happening uh, as far as this convention? Because generally speaking, the Democratic convention is not as exciting as the uh, Republican convention. Of course, we had the big headlines about Melania. You know, she did her big speech on the first night and then the plagiarism allegations came out. And that was the big story kind of, you know, ha ha, look at her taking things from Michelle Obama. But to me, unity is the big issue for Democrats, which... Yes, and the irony is that the theme of tonight's proceedings, and Barack Obama's wife will talk, Bernie Sanders will talk, among others, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, as we talk, is still planning to talk, which would be suicide. So the theme tonight is united, we go forward, and the proper one, as we talk, is disunited... We go down the drain. That's the way it looks to me. And uh, we will know if she is stupid enough to take the podium, how it goes on. And the media is belatedly catching up to this, but very belatedly, because as you remarked earlier, the mainstream media, with the exception perhaps of the Washington Post, uh, has been almost... uh, an adjunct of the Hillary campaign. I think what what becomes problematic is if 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 Schultz gets up on that stage and she's booed, she's then just created a, a huge ad, uh, attack ad for Donald Trump. Yes. So it's essentially just writing these attack ads for him. Yes, but you see, Trump has one advantage over Hillary, and I must be honest, I wouldn't vote for Trump. I probably would vote for the Libertarian Party. But Trump's great advantage is he's a reality star, he's a showman. He is very adept on his feet. Everything he says, he repeats twice. He appeals to, frankly, the lowest common denominator, which on television is a smart thing to do. And if that, when they have the debates, and usually they're two or three, I'm not sure how many they're going to be this campaign, he will take Hillary to the cleaners because she always has to have a teleprompter to read off. If she has to argue or debate Trump without that teleprompter to read from, uh, Trump will make mincemeat of her. Yeah, but as he's you... not afraid of telling people, uh, many politicians are legitimately concerned about being very tough in debating women candidates. But Trump, as you and I know, is not afraid of that. He's prepared to be accused of being a sexist, male chauvinist pig, and he'll still say it. So he's, he is bold, and he doesn't obey the rules written by the media. 
Yeah, it'll definitely be uh, that that day I actually do wait for because I think it'll be fascinating uh, to watch and see what he does. But, the, you know, she did go on 60 Minutes last night, Ray. And and one of the things which to me was just a cringe worthy moment was when she said, well, vote for me. We want to make history again because we haven't had a woman president, which, again, here you go playing the woman card, which I think is just the absolutely most ridiculous and weak and position. Also, Alex, you played the clip. She said there was a Hillary standard and a standard for other people. That is just a blatant lie. Trump, the media have set a standard for him much higher than they have for Hillary Clinton. So she should actually have rephrased that and said, I have a beneficial standard from the media and, frankly, a lot of other people. And uh, there's a much more difficult one for Donald Trump. But Trump exploits this. Take a shot at him, and he'll hit back. He's been so active. I follow Twitter closely. I think he's been on four times today already, and he does it instantly, taking shots at Hillary over this disaster of having to to get rid of Wasserman Schultz, who's no friend of Obama, according to these emails. She even took, her staff took shots at Obama. So Obama should be pretty mad, too. Yeah, because he was the one that essentially appointed her to that position. But, you know, her VP pick, Tim Kaine, said, you know, we're going to be positive and and obviously peachy keen. Everything's great and positive, hopey, changey kind of. That's the tone they want to take versus Donald Trump's doom and gloom. Do you get the sense, Ray, that this is going to follow her for the next four months? Yes, definitely, because Trump is single-minded. Trump understands in the media something John Cretchen understood. Don't try to have too many messages and too many visions. Trump is pretty clear-cut. Hillary, perhaps like Paul Martin, gets up on a horse and rides off in all sorts of directions. Trump is simple, single-minded, and he will keep harrowing away. He, he, he keeps his word. He said three or four months ago, this election will be about crooked Hillary. And this scandal we're dealing with today, which is the mega scandal of the campaign so far, there may be bigger ones to come, um, this will continue because Trump will keep it going. And he does have a good ally. When we talk about cable news punditry, we're inclined to focus, because we're Canadians, I guess, on the Clinton News Network, CNN. But the Fox News Network has nearly, well, it has twice as many viewers in the United States as CNN. Mm -hmm. So the media will play a role, and I think some of the mainstream papers, and I'll mention the Washington Post, are feeling a bit guilty now that they gave Hillary a free ride. Well, that's because they're getting busted. show now that they didn't give her a free ride, even if they did, by by being even harder on her. And the other thing we must remember... Bill Clinton has a big mouth, too, and he might get involved in this cesspool. And usually when he does that over the last few years, he looks like an idiot. Yeah, well, it'll uh, certainly be interesting to uh, to watch it unfold. And I'll uh, come back to you for your your expertise on the issue. Ray, thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thank you very much, Alex. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Well, let's continue our discussion because it's all things DNC this week. And yes, people on both sides of the border are watching. Are you watching? Do you have any thoughts on this? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Or you can always tweet us at AM 900 CHML or get me direct at Alex Pearson AMP. I always love... A diversity of opinions. So if you don't agree with me, tell me. If you hate me, tell me. I'm all okay with that. Um, And I just think it lends to a better conversation. Uh, So in fact, I think given that WikiLeaks is kind of saying all these threatening things about, you know, the emails coming out and more coming out. We've got uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's expected to speak. I'm not sure that's a good idea that she'll do that. But nonetheless, this convention will be full of Hollywood A-listers. Bill Clinton's expected to speak. President Obama will be expected to speak. But it it actually might be all the drama outside the convention that gets all the attention. And that's not necessarily what you want to do when you're trying to provide for a unified front. Let's bring in Jackson Proskow, 
who is the Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Hello, sir. Hi, Alex. Great to talk to you. Awesome talking to you. Of course, we used to uh, be seatmates in the Global Newsroom, so it's nice to have you on uh, on the show. Alex, I uh, have to say I'm having a very hard time hearing you here, actually. The connection's gotten really bad all of a sudden. I think I'm jinxed with phone lines in this newsroom, so I, I, in, this, uh, in this station, because I seem to get all the technical glitches on the phones. Can you hear me now? I can, yeah. Okay. I'm to uh, stay with you here. Put, it, put some tinfoil on your head and a colander, and we'll figure this out together. Paint a scene for me, if you will, of what Philadelphia looks like today uh, at, the, at the convention center. Well, of course, everyone was hyping up Cleveland last week and the potential for protests and violence surrounding Donald Trump. But Philadelphia is actually the much bigger story on that front uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, geography, of course. We're you know on the busy eastern seaboard here. A lot more protesters in town. By some estimates, 50,000 to 100,000 per day. And a good chunk of them are progressive. They're Democrats, who you would think would be in Hillary Clinton's corner, but they're not. They don't like Clinton. A lot of them are Bernie Sanders supporters who say they'll never come on side with Clinton. And uh, at the end of the day, it's a much bigger security and and sort of policing protest nightmare here uh, than we saw last week in Cleveland. Yeah, I think it goes without saying, Jackson, that most people thought that all the trouble would be at uh, the Trump campaign uh, at the uh, RNC. But is this taking people by surprise that there's so much anger? It really is. I mean, I think, you know, the hotel we're staying at is where the Ohio delegation is staying at. I have to tell you, every second car with Ohio plates in the parking lot has Bernie Sanders stickers on it. Lots of delegates in the hotel who you would think, again, are here to rally around Hillary Clinton are still wearing their Bernie Sanders T-shirts. Now, granted, Sanders is speaking to the convention tonight, so maybe things will change in the next few days. But Democrats really are bracing for the potential that the convention could be disrupted tonight. They're going to be doing a roll call where they call on every delegate from every state to explain who they're voting for. And the question is, will people try and disrupt the process tonight and show their dissatisfaction with Hillary Clinton? And that same thing happened at the RNC when they went around and did the roll call and there was a bit of a a drama. But I think, you know... That was to be expected. Uh, Hillary Clinton has to give uh, the appearance, at least, that there is a unified front at this convention, because if they can pin that that that's a Republican problem, that works to their advantage. If the Democrats have to go to the vote uh, in November still with this perception that people are not behind Hillary Clinton, that's going to become very problematic for her. It really is. And I think what's happened is, uh, as a result of that, you've got a lot of progressives and a lot of people on the left side of the spectrum who really don't know what to do. They're obviously never going to vote for Donald Trump, but a lot of them say they'll never vote for Clinton either. They're looking for a home right now. If the Democrats play things properly over the next few days, maybe they can give uh, those groups the impression that Clinton will provide some sort of a home to them. It's a tough sales pitch, Alex. So what is going to happen as far as, uh, you know, protests tonight? Do you get the... Spe- do you get the... the um perception that people are more angered since this leak came out? I mean, the, these emails are, are, are terrible. They were damning to uh, Bernie Sanders. Are people more angered now that they've, they've heard about them? Well, it's kind of, there's two sides to it. I mean, I think Bernie Sanders supporters suspected this was the case all along. This isn't exactly news to them, and so it's not a huge surprise to them. It's just sort of confirming their worst fears about the party and, you know, what many times was called a rigged system. I think it has reignited the anger that had maybe tempered down in recent weeks after Sanders threw his support behind Clinton. Uh, Are things going to turn violent? I don't have an expectation of that, but I do think that these are Democrats who want to be heard. They want to go on record as being dissatisfied with the party's choice, and they have no problem not falling in line behind Hillary Clinton. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Now, why on earth uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is expected to speak today? Has anything changed? Are you hearing any, any word that they may change their minds on that? Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough position that the party finds itself in because, of course, it's, it's weird that she's still speaking after resigning at the same time to not have the party's chair uh, step aside, um, creates kind of an awkward situation. So I think, I think everyone's sort of waiting to see how this plays out, but I don't expect she's going to have a hugely warm reception when she steps on stage tonight, despite her best attempt to sort of minimize her role here. Yeah, I mean, she's she's not a small player, though. I mean, she's as big as you get behind the scenes. And she, of course, is part of the face of the party. Um, so she, she's no small player. I just don't know why they would invite the optics of, of a possible problem. A bo- the last thing you want to see is booing at your own convention. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point they don't have any choice. Look, we're all wearing badges that say she's the convention chair on them. I think they're in too deep to 
to throw her aside right as the convention starts. So they kind of have to get through the next three days with her still at the helm. Okay, so she's expected to speak. I think that's around 4 o'clock. Who else uh, are we expecting to hear from tonight? Well, Michelle Obama's on the stage tonight. Elizabeth Warren is on the stage tonight. And, of course, Bernie Sanders takes the stage tonight as well. I understand there was a bit of controversy about the fact that Sanders wasn't scheduled to be in the primetime hour, which is after 10 o'clock Eastern, which is when all the TV networks really pick up their wall-to-wall coverage. And there's some last-minute juggling going on to see if they can slide Sanders a bit down the line and get him in that same hour with Michelle Obama. Uh, But it's not clear how that's going to play out this afternoon. Yeah, you would think the networks might find themselves in some trouble with optics because these leaks that we've been reading about, uh, Jackson, include, you know, you know, certain reporters who have pretty big uh, audiences that were working either with or the perception that they were trying to, you know, bury bad stories, et cetera, and or take talking points from the party. If it looks even remotely like they're, you know, trying to bury, <clears throat> pardon me, Bernie Sanders and not give him, you know, lots of eyeballs, they'll, they'll find themselves with a lot of backlash. No, I think you're exactly right, and I think that's why they're sort of making these efforts to uh, placate Sanders and his supporters as much as possible here. They really do need them at the end of the day. And if you look at the polls that have come out in the wake of the Republican convention, Donald Trump has seen a huge bump here at the last minute. Uh, Depending on the poll, he's either tied with or now leading Hillary Clinton. The Democrats need their own post-convention bump. What fascinating times. You're going to have an amazing time. I'm jealous that you get to be there, but I'll, uh, I'll come to you often and talk to you about it. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. That's Jackson Prosco, who's the uh, Washington bureau chief for Global. So we'll check in with him to get the kind of color of the convention this week. And it's a, it's a real fascinating. Um, if you're at these conventions, it, it's like a world you've never been in. It's a lot of fun, a lot of work, no questions, a lot of running around, very tiring days. But the perspective you get from being on the ground at these conventions is really, really fascinating. And I think out of any election we've seen, I mean, I know that Obama, you know, the inspiration of hope and change, everyone was in that. I mean, it was a really interesting um, process to follow. But this election cycle is different in the United States. Everyone's fascinated. They have so much hate for both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And at the same time, that's who you get to pick. Those are the picks out of three hundred and. 20 million people in the United States. That's all they could come up with for running for the president of the United States. But that's those are the choices you've got. So people are watching on both sides of the border. You know, the FBI may have cleared Hillary Clinton. The courts of public opinion may not. And these email leaks reveal that, yeah, the fix was in. And this is something that Donald Trump pointed out during his nomination process, that the fix was in, that Bernie Sanders was never going to get a fair chance. So you better believe that he's going to try to reap the rewards of those who may be feeling fairly disgruntled. And he did get a jump, as we've been talking about. He got a jump in the polls. Now, that's very normal to see that you kind of the numbers start jostling around after a convention. But if I'm the the Hillary Clinton, I might be getting a little worried. But I could be wrong. Let's uh, bring in an expert on this. Paul Hamilton is the associate professor of competitive politics. He joins us at Brock University. Hello. Hello, Alex. What um, do you make of this whole thing? You've got the uh, email leaks. You've got, you know, the recent FBI investigation that, yes, cleared Hillary Clinton, but certainly did not give her a, you know, they didn't charge her, but it doesn't mean they cleared her. What do you get the sense, will this convention be overshadowed by that? Well, I think you have to distinguish between the two uh, controversies. One is Benghazi, which has been studied to death, and uh, the use of her email at her at her home, and uh, she's not going to be charged. Um, it's seen more as a uh, kind of a negligent um, act on her part. Um, and then the current crisis, which has, I don't think, anything to do with Hillary. It's got everything to do with uh, a vulnerable um, network uh, run by the Democratic Party. Um, will it overshadow the convention? I think it'll really depend a lot on what happens today. Uh, Bernie Sanders is speaking tonight. Um, I think uh, if I were a Democrat, I'd like to see Debbie Wasserman Schultz um, step away and and have no involvement with the uh, convention. I think if she did that, it would help a lot to sort of push this aside. Yeah, but Paul, I mean, okay, she was pushed out of the committee, but she has been hired by Hillary Clinton to run or be a part of the campaign, which to me, I don't know, is that not a mistake? It's Uh, 
Like, is that what is that not what we call failing upwards? It looks a little bit uh, risky. Um, the other way to look at it is uh, one of the states that both uh, candidates uh, really need to win is Florida. And to just freeze Wasserman Schultz out uh, could run the risk of alienating voters in Florida. Yeah, and that's a very, very important uh, area of the world as far as voting. Uh, you know, I, for me, I, I just look at this. This is Clinton on 60 Minutes trying to, to create an appearance last night. She's pushing very hard, uh, you know, on creating a historic moment, saying, you know, elect a woman. You've got to pick me. Let's, you know, give it a chance. I'm the kinder, hopier, you know, change your candidate than the doom and gloom of Donald Trump. But I... I can't help but get the sense there are an awful lot of Bernie Sanders uh, supporters who are going to be heading into this convention saying, hold on a second, this thing was not fair. This thing was rigged. Can they change their mind and and vote her out, or is it completely a done deal? Well, she has the uh, majority of the candidates, and uh, she doesn't need their support. Um, he has uh, 1,800 uh, and a little bit. And she has over 2,200. Um, so the outcome is not in doubt. Sanders has endorsed her. That's not going to change. Um, and and whatever the activities of the DNC, the delegate result is a consequence of the voting in the states. And it's true that, uh, you know, who knows exactly what the effect of the uh, headquarters machinations uh, were, um, but I think this is really settled. Now, they can certainly, as they did this morning, cause a very high-profile, embarrassing situation, which is exactly why Wasserman Schultz should be uh, walking away from this convention. Yeah, I mean, the last thing you need is to hear booze at the convention. We're talking to Paul Hamilton uh, out of Brock University. Let me ask you to stand by, because I want to bring Fred into this conversation. Uh, you've got a comment for us, Fred? Sure. Hello. Hi, Fred. Yes, I uh, I watch this American hoodoo. <laughs> Anyways, to me, it takes me right back to Lincoln. These are blue coats and red and uh, gray coats fighting among themselves again. That, that hasn't stopped. That's still going on. They uh, the gray coats call themselves red coats now over in the states. But uh, what gets me, Sanders? Okay, he did quite well what he did, but he's seventy four years old. So his age was against him. I was surprised that uh, the people that are vice, the vice president picks weren't running for president. Like uh, the vice president for Trump, I don't know why he didn't run for president. Mike Pence, yeah. And, uh, you know, these other ones didn't run. Uh, I don't know why they let Trump get on the ticket, really. Uh, he's never been in politics. I feel that he should have been at the Senate first to give a platform to go from there to carry on to the president. But uh, it didn't happen that way. Now, Hillary, I still think she should be there, ma'am. I know a lot of people are on her saying this and that. But she's a lawyer. She's been there here and there. A lot of things that people are saying about her, she didn't do. Okay, the people that she had working for her, they are the ones that screwed up. And everything is going on here as a fall guy, okay? And uh, the Americans, what they're going to do, they're going to do. But if Trump gets in, it's going to be trouble for everybody. And uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, I hope the Sanders people back Hillary because he's backing her now and uh, makes a, a playing field a little bit better here. But uh, now the gentleman, Paul, they were talking about Florida. I, to me... People are going to vote the way they're going to vote. Trump has gone for the people that have a lot of trouble in their life and they're out of a job and all this other stuff. Trump's going with. Well, he's Fred, to get them, he's trying to get them to back him because he said, I can help you do this, do that. But when I look at what he did as a businessman, wasn't that great? No, but do you have a point for uh, Paul? I'm going to go back to Paul. Because, but do you have a question or a point for Paul? Well, Paul... I just like to know you're saying that this guy's a businessman and all that there, um, and he wants to get rid of uh, the free trade and uh, all this stuff. Like, I'm surprised that Trump is talking like this because U.S. Steel over here with Stelco, 
They're controlling what they're going to control, and every place where the American companies go, they control because through history, Procter & Gamble, Firestone, Westinghouse, we're all American, have gone back home. So where's Trump talking about that he's going to give people jobs when all the time these people own businesses go to Mexico and other countries? They don't really, they help, you know, they're really not helping uh, the industry. Fred, thank you very much for your uh, call today. Uh, and Paul, look. I think Fred brings up the point, you know, perception's everything that Hillary Clinton may not have done what she's accused of done, or maybe she did. But the bottom line is she has a problem with trust and she's got to rebuild that during this convention, correct? Oh, yeah, that's for sure. And and I guess this convention is a way of sort of uh, reintroducing her. And if you look up at the lineup of speakers over the next few days, it's it's a really impressive array of ordinary people representing particular policy issues like immigration, disabilities, whatever. Uh, then there's the various luminaries of the party, uh, Obama, Biden, um, Sanders, all these other folks. And I, I think they're going to try and paint the picture of somebody who, even if she's not the most personable or uh, sort of charismatic person, is a safe pair of hands that can be relied upon, who has the judgment and the skills. I think they're just going to pound away at that. Yeah, And I think Tim Kaine helps to solidify that uh, portrait of Clinton, because, of course, the vice presidential pick is really the first decision, the first executive decision that any candidate makes. And uh, I, I think by the end of the week, they're going to hope that they're going to contrast very carefully uh, the reliability and the, and the uh, steadiness of Hillary versus uh, the, in some ways, a bit of a circus that went on last week. Yeah, I tend to agree. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Not at all. That's Paul Hamilton. He's uh, all things politics and giving us his perspective on what uh, he sees happening. And it's interesting because, you know, Fred pointed out, why, why didn't the VPs run? Why didn't the VPs run for president? Well, you know, they actually are the ones who have a lot of experience, for sure. But they're both boring. And they just don't have the panache. And uh, that's what happens when you run in politics. It's not necessarily the best people that end up getting picked for top job. It's the one that can draw the most attention, make the most stink. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't have to book interviews. He doesn't have to do anything. He just has to show up. And that's why he won. He got people out to vote. So, you know, the VPs, and I hate to say it, the VP uh, debates this year, likely going to be the most boring of affairs, but they... Those two picks, Mike Pence and Tim Kaine, actually may be the most normal of the candidates running in this entire election. So we'll uh, stay tuned, and of course, we'll have you covered this whole week as we watch this event unfold. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.